A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Giro's over, the Dauphiné's done. That can only mean one thing. The Tour de France is on its way. And with perfect timing, Ruler 112, the Tour edition, will be arriving with subscribers very soon. As usual, it's a bumper edition, but this year, for the first time, it's two separate magazines. Well, they're joined together, but back-to-back, one for the women's race, one for the men's. To sort out any confusion, here's Ruler editor Ed Pickering. Two magazines, two front covers. Um, Depends on your perspective as to which is upside down, but they are upside down in relation to each other, if you see what I mean. So you start at, you you start in the traditional way, reading and, you know, whichever one you want to read, start start there. Um, so the thinking was, this year is fairly groundbreaking in cycling in that the first edition of the Tour de France Femme is running. I mean, obviously, historically, there have been um, women's tours de France in the past, but this is, it feels like a new departure. We felt the best way to to celebrate that and to cover that was to give equal coverage to both races. I mean, that's that that is. I think that's the the ultimate end goal. Will will be that. So we're we're getting ahead of the game, and we've we've made two magazines, two equal sized magazines, um, same number of pages for each race, and it's two magazines, two races. That was that was our thinking. We'll talk about the Tour de France fam uh, in a little while. The uh, men's side of the magazine, um, there's a big interview early on with uh, and feature on uh, Primoz Roglic, who I, I guess if we look at his performance in the Dauphiné, has got to be in with a shout for this year's tour, hasn't he? I'd say he dominated the Dauphiné. He dominated it with his teammate, Jonas Vingegaard, which is very exciting for the Tour de France because it tees up a situation where... He and Vingegaard can conceivably go up against Tadej Pogacar. Neither may be as outright strong as him, but together they may be able to engineer something. And, and you know, we didn't know that when we commissioned the magazine, of course, although it's it's always nice to feel validated. But, you know, we, we chose to interview Roglic for the magazine just because he's such a big personality. He's a fascinating personality. And I think the way cycling fans, certainly the way I've perceived him, over the years that he's been around has, has evolved and changed quite a lot so I, I just find him really interesting yeah there's some really interesting insights into his character and 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 the way he races in the in the article yeah yeah I mean that's that's the thing I've changed my mind about Roglic over the years I I, I quite like changing my mind um it, it you know it hopefully suggests that I'm learning something over the course of time but I, I used to find him a bit uncompelling I found it a bit boring to be honest, it you know it's that's not a criticism. Um, you know the point of the bike race is to win the bike race, not to entertain me. Um, but I I found that he was quite conservative, and I I sensed that he was 
a bit of a control freak, liked everything to be in order. And I, I just didn't find that that gripping. Then I guess the turning point was when he lost the Tour de France in 2020 on La Planche des Belles And since then, chaos has reigned to an extent. And I, I now, I used to think that the chaos happened in spite of his best efforts. But now I, I think he embraces it. I think he's he's good at dealing with it. And, the, the, you know, the fact that he came back after that tour defeat and, you know, won Liège past on Liège showed that he can thrive um, in, the, in, the, in the face of chaos. And, yeah, I, I, I find him a lot more interesting. You know, the more I watch him, the more interested I am in him, which, you know, it's ho- hopefully, hopefully it means that I'm getting past the facade and understanding what he's really like. And there's also an interview shortly after that with uh, Ben O'Connor of uh, Agé Désert, who um, coincidentally also had a good Dauphiné, didn't he? He did indeed, yeah. This is a, a, it's by former Rouleau editor Andy McGrath um, pitched, pitched this one, and you know, Andy's, Andy's Rouleau royalty, so he can, he can write for us any time. I used to work with Andy at um, Cycle Sport magazine years and years and years ago, and he always had an eye for the up-and-coming riders and, and the riders who he felt would really do something in the future. And he, he'd often catch them before they were famous. Or, you know, with Ben O'Connor, he has come forth in the Tour de France and won a stage last year. But I, I think Andy's sense of him is that, you know, that, that, that's a watershed moment in his career. So he went to went to meet him in Andorra, had a nice nice chat with him. And, you know, Ben O'Connor comes across very different from Primoz Roglic, whereas Roglic is quite, he's quite taciturn. You don't... You have to read between the lines with Roglic. I think with Ben O'Connor, he's kind of pretty... Happy-go-lucky. He's he's fairly positive and open and cheery, and you know Andy responded to that. So we got really interesting into him. And yes, again, quite lucky that he's just come off the Dauphiné, you know, well after we decided to interview him uh, with a good result. And I'm I'm excited to see what he does in the tour this year because last year you could argue he got a bit not lucky. He he took advantage of circumstances by getting in a long break and gaining a lot of time. Um, and his fourth place being built on that, but you've got to remember: a, he crashed badly on the first day and wasn't great. You know, lost lost time and was injured in the first week. But this time round, you know, he he almost matched Roglic and Vingegaard um, at, at the Dauphiné. So I, you know, why can't he match them at the Tour de France? Look forward to seeing what he can do. And the uh, men's side of the magazine also starts with uh, a guide to Copenhagen by um, Cecily Uttrup Ludwig, because, of course, um, that's the site of the uh, Grand Depart this year. Yeah, we, we thought, well, we, we, we could tell everybody about the Stage 1 circuit around Copenhagen to talk about the bends and how technical it is and the hill. Well, there aren't any hills. It's flat as a pancake because it's Copenhagen. Um, but we thought that's what... That's probably what everyone else is going to do, and when we're ruler, so we thought what what people want to find out about is Copenhagen. We can watch the race unfold. We know it's going to be a time trial that favours time trial specialists, and at the end of the day, there will be there will be a result which will you know which will analyse and dissect in great detail. But you know, my question is, what's what's Copenhagen like? So, in answering that question, I thought who better to ask than Cecilia Trip Ludwig, who's a friend of the magazine and grew up near very near Copenhagen and and more importantly knows all the cool places to hang out so she took Rachel Jarry our staff writer around the coolest coffee bars and nicest little cafes and spots and some tourist spots and some more off the beaten spots and the best shopping areas and kind of built us a, a picture of what Copenhagen is like so as we're as we're enjoying the time trial, we can also reflect on the fact that 
you know, Copenhagen is a real place where real people live and, and this is what it's like. And Copenhagen are playing a lot of money to bring the Tour de France to their city. And one of the reasons is to publicise their city and make people go there. So we're, we're, we're contributing to that effort. And I think Sicily was a brilliant, brilliant guide. And if you're going to the Grand Depart, go to the places that she recommends because they're probably probably the right places to go. Yeah, I think the only person who could have come close, I only had a tour of uh, the city uh, a couple of years ago uh, by Brian Holm, which I, I think was a very, very different side of the city to the one that Sicily is. It's a much darker um, side of the city that Brian uh, uh, showed me around, and I, I, I suspect one that wouldn't be approved by the uh, Copenhagen um, uh, Tourist Board. But uh, So turning to the uh, Tour de France fam, uh, literally turning the magazine over and starting from the other end, um, I guess, as you said, this is the big story of the year, really, in some ways, isn't it? It's, it's, it's not perfect. It's not the same as the men's race, but it is eight days um, full-on racing all the same. And uh, Rulo talks to the uh, race organiser, Marion Rousse, um, herself a former racer. What, what, what did she have to say about the, about the route and the race? You're right that there have been some, there's been some noise about how it's not perfect. I mean, the thing is, what, what, what is perfect? There's, I, I don't think, you know, strive for perfection, but no one's going to love everything about every every bike race, and I I I personally love, you know, I, I love the route. I think it's brilliant, and maybe it'll settle on a, a longer format in in time, and you know that that that'll be a positive development maybe. But um, yeah, Rusa's, you know, she's she's got quite a bit of experience in the sport. She's she's obviously been a racer herself. She's a former French champion. She's very energetic, is the impression I got, because uh, Maria David, who went who in you know, did the interview conveyed this very well that since Roos has been a child she's been full of energy that's why she wanted to race bikes and that energy and enthusiasm for bike racing carried her through childhood into a professional career and then into media work she's led the way in you know she was one of the anchors for the French television coverage of the Tour de France which in itself was fairly groundbreaking probably belatedly but was was groundbreaking and now she's taken a step into race organizing and she's been organizing the the um Tour de la Provence down in the south of France so she's she's not come into this blind she knows the challenges the issues what needs to be done how to delegate she's a brilliant figurehead for the for the race I think and going back to the race itself I think it's coherent it it's every stage is different offers a lot of variety it also offers i don't it, every, there's there's show pieces you know it starts on the champs elysees it's got the the uphill finish um through the vineyards in in champagne in Epernay. it's got um the, the gravel stage it's got a gradually building route into the vosges uh culminating in a finish on the super planche des Bellefilles. so i uh, i'm i think the race is brilliant and i think cycling fans are going to love it and it's going to you know come off the back of the Tour de France Some, sometimes after the Tour de France I, I, I feel that the last thing I want to do is watch another bike race except this year I feel that I hate to describe the Tour de France as a warm-up but that's what it feels like I feel like I'm, I'm looking forward as much if not more to the Tour Femme as I am to the Tour Tour Homme yeah, and we, um, There's an interview with another fascinating character Anna Meek van Verleuten who uh, is certainly one of the favourites to win this year's race I guess isn't she? 
it's late in her career, but as she's shown the last few years, that 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 just doesn't mean anything. She she's she's won everything. Um, she hasn't won the Tour Femme yet because obviously it hasn't hasn't been happening. And I I feel that she will be, in spite of her recent recovery from injury, I I feel that this will be the main focus of her year. Um, she'll be riding the the Giro Rosa as well, I think. But she you know this this it's important to her to win this race. Um, not just that, though. I think, you know, Van Vleuten's interesting whether we're in the run-up to the Tour de France fam or not. And what, what I got from the interview that Olga Abelos, our, our Spanish magazine editor, Volata editor, the thing that came across with her was her the fact that she really, really enjoys cycling and she enjoys racing. And for her, it's fun. Like there's Again, like you said, with, with Cecilia Trip-Ludwig, it's sunshine and brightness. And that's what you get with Annemiek Van Vleuten. The the reason she's been able to prolong her career for so many years and ride so well, well into her late 30s, with, with no diminishing in her powers at all, is because it's fun for her. I mean, why wouldn't she carry on doing something that she finds a great deal of fun? And we shouldn't forget, you mentioned earlier that um, those of us who are uh, really old and followed cycling in the 80s, remember there did used to be a women's Tour de France. Um, and there's a couple of articles in the edition with memories from those races, isn't there? Yeah, there is. Yeah, I mean, uh, when I first got into cycling, it was the mid '80s, and I watched the Tour de France and the Tour de France Femme, which started in 1984 and ran every year up to the late. late well, it, it's a com- got a complicated history later on, but the main Tour de France supporters event ran through the eighty up to the end of the '80s, and I, I, you know, it was a for me, it was, it was the same deal. It, 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 you know, we we got a bit of coverage. Um, even on the Channel Four coverage, they, they they showed a bit of it and ran concurrently and found it an interesting event. And we've interviewed, or well, I say we tre- Trevor Ward, uh, a freelance writer, has contributed a feature called "The Things They Carried," which spoke to several British riders who took part in the Tour Femina in the eighties, just about their experiences um, at, at the race. And you know, it it was a different different world back then. I mean, it. it the size of the challenge can't be overestimated really i mean it, it was a, it was a tough tough race for them to do and they they didn't have the support or the publicity um or the ability to you know race professionally that 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 the men did and the fact that they were able to you know successfully ride the tour tour feminine you know is a mark of their perseverance and and you know it wasn't easy for them some of them had day jobs and they they took holiday to race the Tour de France and then went back to work. We had to go to work on the Monday or Tuesday morning after the race. And, you know, it, it, it's a snapshot of a very different era. Hopefully it'll be different this time around. You know, it, 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 2020 is a very different time from the late 80s. We've also interviewed Helen Hager, who's a Dutch cyclist who was part of a great cycling family where the, 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 a, a lot of the sisters won a lot of races through the 60s, 70s and 80s. Fascinating interview by Isabel Best, who, you know, Helene Hager came second in the original Tour Feminine in 1984. And, you know, when you, read, when you read the interview, you think maybe she should have won it, but she, Marianne Martin, the eventual winner, rode such a clever tactical race and that the, the, the Dutch riders won virtually all the stages. Um, Hager wore the yellow jersey, but... I think got caught out by the fact she she pinpointed the wrong 
rider to keep an eye on and enable Marianne Martin to win. But it was a fascinating interview with a rider. I've, I've barely heard of her before. I, I, I'd seen her name on the final results and never read anything about it in the past. So Isabel tracked her down, got some lovely photographs and um, brilliant interview with her. And that's it's a fascinating insight into the tour in tour feminine in 1984 okay thanks ed for the uh, time being we're going to take a break uh, when we come back ed will be talking to the fascinating professor van hinsbergen who's written an article for ruler 112 all about the geological history of the areas that this year's race will pass through and how the mountains and geological features were formed and what impact they have on life today and on the tour. Uh, this is Ruler Conversations and we'll be back very shortly. Why hello there. Podcast interruption alert, but I will only take a few short moments to say that if you're enjoying this podcast, you will love the regular magazine. So if you're not a reader already, then you can subscribe at ruler.cc for as little as £6 per month. If you don't speak Northern Irish, that's six times 100 pennies. And for the price of a few coffees, you get regular columns from the wonderful Ned Bolting, myself, Orla Shinawa, and some of the very finest independent cycling journalism there is, all wrapped up in a wondrously beautiful publication. Go to ruler.cc. I'll leave you to it. When I was pulling together features for our Tour de France guide in Ruler, somebody retweeted a tweet into my feed by an account called at GOTDF. And this tweet showed the geology of the Mur de Huy. And this, this appeared on the day of Flesh Valone. And you could argue that that's not much to do with the bike race. But at the same time, in my opinion, it's it's everything to do with the bike race. Because the best thing about cycling for me is that it intersects and overlaps so much with the real world. Bike races are geographical and therefore they're political, historical and cultural and educational as well. Cycling is the most educational sport there is. It teaches us about life, human nature and the world. So I had a list of fairly obvious features for our Tour de France guide, but this is Rouleau and we wanted more. And we always want features that educate and provoke our readers' thoughts. So I thought, what could be more educational and interesting than a piece about not just the Tour de France, but the geology of the Tour de France? And I DM'd the owner of the account that day, and it turned out to be an account owned by Professor... Dowell van Hinsbergen of the Department of Earth Sciences at the University of Utrecht. So we chatted, we formulated a feature, and the result, published in Ruler 112, is a fascinating look at both the Tour de France Homme and Tour de France Femme, just from a geological perspective. But because it's geological, it pertains to the bike race itself. So, Professor Van Hinsbergen, firstly, have I pronounced your name correctly? Yes, you did. Can you introduce yourself for our readers, please? My name is Daniel Van Hinsbergen. I'm a geologist and I have been a fanatic about cycling for as long as I can remember, both on the bike and both watching, uh, watching the race. And um, what I do for a living is I make reconstructions of what the Earth looked like in the geological past, uh, the, the reconstructions of Earth history. And from that, we can work out the evolution of life, but also the driving mechanisms behind plate tectonics and earthquakes and volcanoes and all that stuff. About a year ago, it suddenly struck me that when I was watching cycling races, I was watching a geological excursion. 
It's just that the commentators didn't know that and didn't have the material to explain that to the to the to the viewers. So I decided first on my own and then with colleagues and friends um, to write a little bit of write down a little bit of information for them so that they could explain what the writers were going through and why. And there's a direct connection between the geology and the type of winner. And it, we thought it was fun to to see how far we could get with that. And it turns out that there is a there is a market for it. There's a following. People enjoy it. Yeah, because the 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 commentary on especially some of the quieter stages, but the commentary on all the stages, really, you know, they they talk about the castles and the hum, you know, the buildings, the and some sometimes a bit of the landscape. But it's mainly they they've got a, a cheat sheet about the the chateau that that they go past and. It's it's an important part of the day and it's it's an important part of the tour, but it's always been confined to kind of the human history. So I guess you're you're just expanding on that, aren't you? Yeah, the idea of the Tour de France was to advertise France, and that is precisely what we're doing. It's just a different element of it, and it clearly, I mean, the, the, we 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 built it on the Tour de France, but we can do it all year long, as you said, we can do it in the Ardennes, but we can also do it in Central Africa if there's a bike race there. And we certainly plan on doing that. Um, because it's just it's just fun to know a few things about what, uh, the, the world that we're living in. Um, it's also important, I think, to... It is a beautiful platform to explain some of the more difficult issues that we right now have in our society. And we want a green energy revolution, but we do not want to open the mind. But you cannot have one without the other. And I'm not telling you what to think. I'm just explaining. We are just using this to explain the challenges of our time and the role that, that geology plays in it. Regarding the Tour de France, the, the type of geology decides who wins the race. So it's actually very important. Could you explain that a bit more, please? Yeah. Well, flat stages are typically um, done in places that we call sedimentary basins. These are the holes in the ground that the, that the rivers flow to. And they dump their sediments there and everything becomes nice and flat. So a sprinter really likes sedimentary basins, whereas, I mean, clearly a climber, you will find in the young mountain belts like the Alps and the Pyrenees and the attackers, uh, the, the Mathieu von the Pools of these uh, of these times, they really like it in the old mountain belts of the Vosges and of uh, the, the Massif Central, which is couple of hundred million years older than the Alps and it's been eroded more and this is the end this is the the, the location for the punchers so uh, there is a there is a relationship there uh, and you can also make some some fun about it I mean the, the time trial of this year's Tour de France is in a region where there's a lot of caves and caves form a limestone and this is known as the, as karst features karstic features named after the karst plateau of Slovenia so our guess is that one of the Slovenians might win the time trial, and I think there's a, there's a good chance of that actually happening. It's very true. It was pre predestined from the very, very earliest days of the Earth. Which came first, cycling or geology, by the way? Well, I think cycling, since I was six, but that ended in um, in the Blackberries, so it wasn't a particularly successful attempt. Um, no, geology was first, and then I, uh, then I, well, the the enthusiasm for cycling was was there as a teenager, but me actually sitting on a racing bike came later. What what's the overlap between the two? What's the intersection? The intersection is, uh, I think you you very beautifully described that in the beginning. The intersection is that um, sitting on a bike you cover miles and miles, and there is so much to see, particularly in a Tour de France which covers three thousand miles, and and in this case three different 
continents, old mountain belts. There's a billion years of Earth history that we're traveling through. There's a lot to tell about stuff whereby you can only see maybe 5%. You see the hill, you see the mountaintop, you see the uh, one little feature in it. But there's so much to tell behind that feature, just as much as there's so much to tell behind that castle. When we discussed the feature and the, when, when you wrote it, um, you, you especially talked about the the Tour de France Feminin, which had an interesting geological journey. So could you take us through that for our, for our listeners, please? Yeah, well, we, I, I think I enjoyed the Tour de France Femme parts even better. The tour there goes from Paris to, to the La Planche de Belfi, and that starts in the youngest part of, of the history around 40 million years ago, and it goes every day older and older and older, back to about 400 million years ago, when, you know, just after the first animals crawled out of the ocean. And for every stage, we have written a, a blog in which we explained what the world would have looked like if the stage would have been written at the time that the rocks formed. And it, it, it really, I'm, I'm, I'm really enthusiastic about that part because the, um, I learned a lot from it. Um, I, I, I learned a lot about all sorts of animals that lived in times long past. In one of the stages, you might be chased by a by a, a dragonfly that was seventy five centimeters large. There were some ugly creatures. It's not a bad time to live this one, <laughs> and yeah. we're living it now. Sure. Could you take us through that geological journey of the Tour Fam? Because it goes, you know, it doesn't cover a vast distance. I mean, it goes from from Paris to the eastern edge of France, so it's a few hundred kilometers physically, but temporally. It's a very, very, very long way indeed, isn't it? It's a big time trial, yeah. The reason that we cover older and older rocks every day is that we're, we're, we're riding through the Paris Basin, it is called. And the Paris Basin is an enormous saucer-shaped hole in the ground in northern France with Paris smack in the middle. That below Paris is about three kilometers deep. And then if you go as you go towards the edges, it gets older and older and older. You go deeper and deeper and deeper. Uh, so we start in the center, which has the youngest rocks of the Eocene and Oligocene, um, which is about 40 to 30 million years ago. And every day we go older. After, in, in day three, we enter the, sta- the, the era of the dinosaurs. And as we go out of the Paris Basin, which started to form about 220 million years ago, we go below and in the, in the Vosges, in the eastern uh, part of France, we see the older history that goes back into uh, times that we call the Paleozoic which life started to flourish. What about the Tour de France Homme? Because that's a, it's a longer event. It's three weeks long and they cover a greater distance because of transfers and you know, the race itself. There's a lot broader, um, a lot wider history. So can you take us through the, the main structures of the, the men's race? Well, what we do in the men's race is we every day we address a feature and tell a story behind that feature about a process. Um, we, when we start in Denmark, uh, we start on a continent that was once thousands of kilometers away from France. Um, it, it's a continent called Baltica. And uh, so we there we, we explain about processes of, of the moving continents and the colliding continents and the formation of big mountain belts. But in the second stage, we start in um, a geological interval that is known as the Danian. It's named after Denmark, which is the the wastelands right after the meteorite impact that killed the dinosaurs. And Denmark is full of that stuff. And this is what Denmark is geologically known for. Even younger parts, we enter we enter the very young history whereby we uh, discuss the borrowed lands. The, the Northwestern Europe have land like the Netherlands that is 
a very temporary feature of this land. <laughs> it's actually supposed to be below sea level. Most of it is below sea level. We just pumped the water out, which comes with a whole different uh, history and a whole different set of, of challenges. And this is what we do every day. Every day we find a feature, and this can be uh, re related to mining. It can be related to plate tectonics. It can be related to paleontology. Um, there's a place even in, in, in the south of France where the Tour de France will come past a vineyard where there was a dinosaur found named after that vineyard. There's even the geology of the wines that we uh, that we find in the in the Côte du Rhône. There's a very clear geological reason for the beautiful taste of those wines. So we can we, can, we address different subjects every day. It's not centered around one one given theme. Yep, and of course the the, the geology of France to to winemakers is is, is key, isn't it? Yep. Um, if there's a store of Scotland, you can do the same for whiskey. Well, the the feature that we've run in the magazine is one of the most interesting and educational that I think we've had in Rula for 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 a long time, and um, we want to thank you for for writing it for us. And if people want to, if cycling fans want to follow you for the Tour de France, your Twitter handle is at geotdf g e o t d f, and you'll be updating your blog daily. Um, about the stage, that's right. And that is on the website geotdf.org. Professor Van Hinsbergen, thank you very much indeed. We hope to see you on the Tour de France. My pleasure. Ruler editor Ed Pickering with Professor Dawa Van Hinsbergen. You can read that story and so much more in Ruler 112. If you're not already a subscriber, go to ruler.cc and put that right now. You won't regret it. That's it from this Ruler conversation. So there'll be a Ruler Tech podcast next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.